Hi there, everybody. My name is Akash Bhatt, and you're listening to the Desi Vizi Podcast, a show where I bring you leading investors in India and get them to talk about the diverse investing landscape in the country. Well, this is a landmark and a very special episode for me here on the podcast today. We have our very first unicorn founder and somebody who has managed to take his company public without raising a single dollar of VC money. Across the table from me today is Prashant Pitti. He is one of the co-founders and director of Ease My Trip, India's second largest travel portal. Ease My Trip needs very little introduction, but for those uninitiated, Ease My Trip began in 2008 as a B2B2C distribution channel, providing travel agents access to its website to book domestic travel airline tickets in order to cater to the offline travel market in India. And soon thereafter, they moved to a B2C business model, focusing on the growing Indian middle-class population to meet its travel requirements. Prashant is one of the co-founders and directors at EaseMyTrip, and has spent the last 13 years building this company into what it is today. At EaseMyTrip, he's responsible for marketing, branding, investor relations, hotel, bus, and media management. He's a graduate from IIT Madras and has over 16 years of experience in the travel, tourism, banking, and social application industry. He's also previously worked with HSBC and Capital One in the United States before making his way back to India to build Ease My Trip with his brother Nishant Pitti and Rikant Pitti. I'm extremely excited to speak to him on today's episode as we are going to be uncovering what it meant to run a travel and hospitality company during the pandemic, how they managed to maintain a lean cost structure and profitability during those two difficult years, and most importantly, how the company has thought about running its operations over the course of the last 13 years without raising any external funding, how have they managed to take this company public despite all the challenges that the travel industry has been through. So without further ado, here's Prashant. Prashant, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor and pleasure to have you here. I've been thinking about doing this episode for a while now, and I'm so glad that we both were able to like carve out some time for this. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation that's going to unfold over the course of the next 60 minutes. So welcome. And uh, how's everything going on your end? Hey, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm great. It's a bright sunny day. Looking forward to the remaining part of the day. So I wanted to start off with a simple question, but then I kept thinking about it for a long time. What is a simple question in this context and the age that we are currently living in? And I'm just going to come straight off the bat and ask this, right? So what were the last two years like for you? Because usually when I start these episodes, I typically ask the VCs, like, hey, talk to us about the learnings and everything that's mm-hmm. taken place over the course of the last 12 months. But being in a unique space like what you have, travel, which has gone and seen so much over the last 24 months, what have you been, your learnings, and what's, how's the 24 months been for you personally? <laughs> well, honestly speaking, uh, yeah, a, a little bit introduction about ourselves too. Uh, I run EaseMyTrip. It's the second largest travel portal in India, and that's why your question is more relevant. Or what has happened in the last 24, 24 months related to the ups and downs of, and the waves which we have seen. So, yes, um, so honestly speaking, uh, we, we had to play out very, very close to the ear most of the time, where we were just waiting for some policies to change. The COVID 
uh, we have to break break up or break down and mostly just play by the ears uh, it was it was like you have to be constantly be aware of what's happening in your surroundings what policies are getting updated when people need to travel without the covaxin certificate when people need to travel with it are people uh, are there any quarantine requirements because you have to inform your passengers about them so you know i would say that to to run this company we have we had to be on our toes all this while for the last 24 months and the journey has been you know has been pretty rewarding as well to be honest uh, you know the learnings have been amazing i'll i'll share quite a few anecdotes of what we have learned in the last 24 months uh, related to how we dealt with the covid and how uh, so at ease my trip uh, we are a bootstrapped organization and uh, we are probably among the very very few companies in the world uh, consumer tech companies in the world who have basically gotten listed without ever raising any money uh, neither from the vcs nor from the banks and not that we had a lot of ancestral money <laughs> uh we started with about a mere 15 lakh or 20 lakh rupees of investment um in this business so you know ismatrip had a had a track record and a history of never being a loss making company in the last 13 years and i'm glad to share with all the improvisations which we did during the covid period we maintained our track record and even in the worst of the days uh, the company was profitable all this while so uh, to to maintain our profitability streak we had to put on an extra effort during the covid times and the learnings have been far too many um, i could go more in detail about it if you want me to yeah i'd love for you to like go into that because considering all the supply chain issues lack of travel fear of travel and just the general dip in economy how did you manage to maintain this same lean structure cost um would you say that this is part of the strong foundation that you built historically from the day mm-hmm. that you started the company or did you find new and innovative ways to adapt to the pandemic situation it's it's surely a mixture of both um at ismatrip we are probably the only profitable travel company in india uh amongst our competing you know competing peers so we already had a very lean and efficient machine which was working for us uh we were able to do so much more with so little employees uh that people are many times astonished of what we are able to do so yes the foundation has been extremely strong however there were a lot of improvisations and a lot of impromptu actions which we took uh which uh, you know actually helped us uh propel in this period for example as soon as lockdown was enacted upon which was 21st march 2020 seems like a distant memory since we are about to have the second anniversary for that day um on you know as soon as lockdown was enacted upon all the flights were voluntarily cancelled right you know by the government and now we realize that people are stranded some are stranded at their work locations some are stranded at you know some hill station people were stranded and they were looking forward to go back to their place by one means or the other and that is why there was a huge outcry uh for people who were looking for their refund everybody was demanding 100% refund because it's not them who cancel the tickets so we realized the need of the hour at that time and 
even before airlines or hoteliers gave us the money back to give to the consumers, we dipped our cash reserves by 110 crores. And we gave out refund to customers even before we got it from the airlines or from the hotel. So we, in the, in the, in the first week of April, 2020, we took a huge gamble of refunding money to consumers even before we got money from the airlines or from the hotel. See, we are a mediator, right? We are an aggregator. So once consumer gives us the money, we give to the principal. And now if somebody is asking for refund, we must get that money from the principal to give it back to the consumer. But in April, 2020, we took a huge gamble. You know, at that time, it was extremely cutsy call to, to refund the money of the consumer even before we got from the principal. But we depleted our cash reserves by 110 crores. Right. Now, the idea was more altruistic in nature. We didn't know what all value will it provide back to the company. But then uh, it, it created humongous amount of humongous amount of goodwill on social media for East my trip. See, uh, you know, we saw hundreds and thousands of tweets where people were tagging our competitors saying that my friend got money from East my trip. Where is my money? Now, in fact, that even propelled this company from being the third largest in Indian ecosystem to second largest in Indian ecosystem. Just one and a half months of that period actually gained us one and a half, uh, I mean, as soon as the lockdown was, uh, the, the forceful lockdown was removed and you know people started flying again, we could immediately see the jump which we gotten in the market share because of that particular instance. Now, had any airlines or any hotel gone bankrupted, we would have lost a lot of money. But, uh, you know, I think everything worked out where, you know, none of the airlines or hoteliers, you know, went bankrupt and we got our money back eventually from them. So things worked out really well for us. But at that time, you know, it, it was very, very, you know, it was very challenging to take that call. You think being very lean, bootstrapped, not having VC money, that's kind of like backing you, kind of allows you to take such bold decisions, knowing that all the stakeholders are within the company. And most importantly, the stakeholders in one way or the other are also the customers and not venture capitalists or somebody else who also owns a percentage of the company itself. Not just in this instance, I can count numerous instances in our last 13 years where we took such calls, which most likely we would not be able to had we raised some VC money. There, 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 there were numerous instances while running the organization where we had the free hand to decide what's best for the business and what's best for the consumers rather than what's best for the shareholder. So there were numerous instances where we could take such calls where there was no additional pressure. We are three brothers. Uh, we run the company and we were the shareholders of the company uh, before we got listed. There were only three shareholders in the company. And hence, uh, the calls were pretty easy for us to take. Uh, now, now we are we are listed entity. Uh, of course, we have uh, two hundred thousand people who are our shareholders. So now we have to be more cautious in how we play uh, uh, play running this organization. 
but prior to being listed, we had 13 years of uninterrupted you know, resources to ourselves to help this company grow while making decisions just for what's best for the consumers and what's best for the company, not what's best for the shareholders and what's driving value. See, we never played the game of raising money and raising the valuation of the company. So we, for us, uh, valuation was immaterial all this while since we were not raising money. And hence, uh, we focused on fundamentals way more than I think most VC, fundies com- VC funded companies do all this while. I'm really curious about how that plays out because we live in an industry today where raising capital is considered sexy, even though that, you know, if you're a founder, you realize that if you can bootstrap, that's perhaps the best way to go about it. There's some numerous examples, including yours, that's kind of like paved the path and given more founders and people within the industry, like good, good substantial evidence that this is possible and can be done. So when you're thinking about it, you and the two brothers are thinking about it early days. Um, what's the, what's the thinking? Was it about, Hey, can we go out and just build a company completely bootstrapped or is it more challenges? Let's try and hit this number and try to hit these milestones. Let's try and see what happens at that stage and then take a call at every step along the process. How does that play out how those conversations? So I would say that in the beginning, we did try to raise some money in year 2008, when we began his my trip, uh, you know, we, we did try to raise some money. And to be honest, there's nothing against VC money in my mind. VC money is a great money to solve teething problems, the way I see it as, you know, but you can't be overtly dependent on VC money and make it as a part of your cash flows or part of your PNL for a longer duration. Then, then I think basically, according to me, the culture of the company sets in and it's so much harder to change the company's culture. You know, after running a ship for a decade, which is dependent on VC money. So my, my advice to entrepreneurs is please feel free to take the VC money. It's a great teething, you know, it's a great money to solve your teething problems. Uh, but don't ensure that you're focused on profitability, ensure that you're focused on viability of the business. Because if you get overtly dependent on it, one day you're going to run out of it. You know, it's not going to be there forever. Each industry goes through a hype cycle. You know, right now it might be fintech or edtech. A uh, couple of, uh, you know, a decade ago it was travel. Now nobody's funding in travel to be honest, now now the travel is going through a consolidation phase. And, you know, we don't have to bear the brunt because we did the business in the right way. The companies, uh, most of our competitors who who ran their organization in losses and on VCPE money, uh, they are facing the brunt in the the travel consolidation phase right now. So according to me, businesses are done only for two reasons. You know, one is to serve your consumers very well, And second, to do it profitably so you can serve them for a longer period of time. I do not think of any third reason why you should be in business. Serve your consumers very well and do it profitably so that it is done sustainably, according to me. Now, that actually reminds me of uh, something Simon Sinek said in one of his videos where he talks about the goal of a company is not to make money. 
the goal of the company is to help the consumer money is a means of correct, of correct. of doing so so i think for, what for you me mentioned money is longevity yeah for many learn, learn money is longevity that this company is going to test pass the test of the time even beyond even beyond our lives and it's it's a it's a means to longevity it's a means to again serve your consumers for a longer period of time that's how i see money as agreed now um you know coming back i we did uh, try to raise vc money in year 2008 but uh, by that time we already had a lot of competitors in the market make my trip clear trip yatra ibibo they all were existing and they all had raised tons of money in the market so of course we did not get the kind of traction which we wanted from the vc world i must have met uh, four or five of them in year 2008 and uh, they were right in their analysis that hey there are five or six already players who have raised tons of money uh, why should uh, a new entrant get money uh, in this space now so there is nothing wrong against their analysis however i think we we have surpassed five of them uh, you know in the in the due course of time primarily because of our hustle because of the way we have been running our organization because of the way we have been able to take decisions so after meeting three or four you know we knew that uh, things are not going in the way where we wanted to so let's just focus on creating more business for the company rather than creating more pitch decks so you know after after a month or so we kind of decided that hey anyways business is growing business is doing well in fact uh, the first the first version of eSmart trip was not what it is right now right now 95% of my business is consumer business so i'm a consumer app where people use my app to book their flights hotels bus train right in the first 3 years i was primarily a b2b software where i was working with travel agents to help them make more money and that is also one of the big learnings which i can only share in the hindsight right now that surrogating your business surrogating yourself into an industry is a great way to enter if that space is already crowded so for the first 3 years we were primarily a software company for the travel agents but during that time we built our technology we built relationship with the airlines we built relationship with the hotels we built our operations and after 3 years we entered the b2c space and the business has flipped completely from being 100% b2b company to 95% b2c company and right now we have about uh, 14 million users who use e-smart trip to make their bookings in india so what was that turning point for you when you moved away from a b2b to a b2c model what was that one thing or i'm sure there were a couple of things that kind of like led you to make that decision but if looking back at it you were able to allude it to a one thing or a few things what would you say was the driving force behind that switch internally see uh, there there is also a very uh, you know there's a huge learning around that as well uh, in year 2011 our business was doing all right you know from 2008 till 2011 we were running a b2b company so business was doing all right we were growing i think we started doing business of about 200 crores are your audience uh, okay with crores and lakhs or should i convert them to millions absolutely all my audience is mostly indian so they understand <laughs> <laughs> so we started doing business of about 200 or to 300 odd crores in year 2011 the margins were almost nil uh, 
let's say if I were getting 8% commissions from the airlines, I was passing 6 to 7% to the travel agent while keeping my cost, all my cost within that one, one and a half percent or 2%. So business was growing, but growing at break-even pace. Uh, but our worries were also growing. We knew that very soon people are going to start booking themselves rather than approaching travel agents. We knew that that's coming. So we pivoted not on the basis of what was happening at that time, but we pivoted in the anticipation of the future. And, uh, you know, we started earlier, it was just agents.easmytrip.com, which could be used by travel agent. But then we created easmytrip.com for the very first time in year 2011, which could be used by anybody to make their flight bookings in year 2011. Now, at that time, all my competitors were extremely well-funded, were raising more money. One of them even got listed in, in the NASDAQ at that time. So they all were growing. They all were doing really well. Uh, one thing which we noticed was they, were, they all were charging convenience fees. You can call that as a service fees or convenience fees, which used to come at the very last step of the booking. And we realized that, hey, we don't have to charge this convenience fees. And let's see where it goes. See, we were anyways focused on our B2B product at that time when we opened our B2C shop to say, uh, we said that, hey, you know, let people come on easematrip.com, let them discover it by themselves and let them have a gratification of not paying convenience fees. While we will continue to focus on our B2B business. This was the call which we took. Now, very soon people started piling upon easematrip, seeing that we were the only one which was not charging convenience fees and hence our prices were cheaper. And you know, word of mouth started spreading. However, I don't think so. Our growth from year 2011 till 2015 was very high in the B2C space. We, we were growing at 10 to 15% per annum. It wasn't growing very well. And that is where by not having VC money, we had the patience to not to change our policy. We continued the no convenience fees policy without spending much money on marketing. We didn't spend, in fact, we didn't spend money on marketing at all. We just let it be there and let people stumble upon and discover. So you reallocated yes. funds from basically marketing to convenience. So you're hoping that the convenience fee kind of becomes word of mouth marketing for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So there was zero spend on marketing and not so much worry about, hey, why are we not growing really fast? And the, the growth continued, but it was very excruciating slow. It was 10 to 15% per annum from 2011 till 2015. Now in year 2015 onwards, there's something which meets more than the eyes and without changing much in the business, our business suddenly started growing at 50 to 60% per annum. And from 15 till 2021, we had a phenomenal run of 50 or 60% growth every year. So our graph looks actually very different than a VC funded graph where they see humongous amount of growth first and then it starts tapering off. For us, it was you know slow in the beginning and then it started rising and it tried, you know, it, it continued to rise and only pandemic was the reason why you know it got hit. Otherwise, we were growing at 50 to 60% per annum. I think 
what must have happened what must have been there 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 surely was a tipping point of end of people knowing that hey is my trip does not charge convenience fees and then you know people must have tried couple of times that hey we are true to our words of not charging convenience fees see an average traveler travel once a year in india so i think those three and a half four years people were just making sure that we are true to our claim that we are cheaper they must have tried us two or three times and then when enough people knew about it it started catapulting and the growth started coming really really fast this is how we have been uh, we recently even became a unicorn um you know we touched about a billion dollar valuation about uh, four or five months ago so the company has done pretty well for itself without ever raising any money and i would give most of the credit to 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 that um, you know whatever little success we have we have been able to achieve uh to two things to to run the company extremely patiently and to run the company in the right way which is being extremely extremely efficient and lean organization all this while so these are two things i actually wanted to uh, touch upon this conversation as well you talked about being lean operationally and from a culture standpoint culture i'll park it for now i want to come to culture in my next segment but let's talk about being very efficient in terms of operations right you also i mean i think I, during my research one of these things came up um you know you've managed to keep expenses super low given some of your competitors have actually spent upwards of 3 to 4x more in terms of every 100 rupees spent or made per customer so right. how have you managed to do so like i'm sure in terms of you know operationally you've had pretty much if not as as many but very close in terms of um the number of people who work at your company in terms of the tech i'm sure the tech is pretty similar in terms of the stack so in terms of being efficient in terms of being um you know where very... is the efficiency coming exactly the question exactly yeah, so there are there are several things which we do pretty differently at least compared to our competitors which i am aware of it might be it might be different compared to the other internet companies as well for all we know um but i'll give you some insights around it so first is uh, you you would be surprised to know that most of our product managers business analyst even marketing folks they are the ones who were picked from customer service departments and have been graduated to their roles so most of our product managers like people you know who have become at a seniority they come from our call centers so instead of hiring too many people from outside we have graduated people within their roles within the organization and we find this as a very strong belief that people who have faced the consumers for a good length of time and have shown superior amount of intelligence in their jobs they are far better product managers far better marketers than others out there because they actually know the business very deeply so this this is something which we find ourselves when when if you look at people who have been working at ismatrip our attrition and our tenure is also extremely long because over here 
people are in anticipation that they might actually graduate in their roles and change their roles altogether because of the policy which we follow. And this policy internally has helped company a lot. Most of the people who, who are at higher levels in their jobs at our organization, at the senior managers or even the VPs for that matter, their tenure with the company has been 11 years, 12 years. And they have grown within the organizations to become they are. And they know how to solve the problem because they were the ones who were listening at the first place. So if I, if I could interrupt there for a minute and um, really probe a little further on how the, the culture is also built, I'm trying to like bring, bring culture back into this because it's intertwined into this question here. There is a lot of competition out there for poaching talent. And um, you, know, you mentioned that your, your employees have seen the whole process in and out. They understand the customer journey. They understand the products really closely. How do you incentivize and motivate them to ensure that you know, they're not moving away to one of your one of your competitors or l- least of all, some other big tech company out there who can actually throw 2x, 3x the amount of salaries given the amount of VC funding that they have. How do you, how do, you do that culturally? So I think that somehow by being under the radar and by being, see, when you, when you raise money, this is when you get the news, right? The news is not when you're simply just growing and making money. The news is when you raise $100 million, $200 million. So uh, thankfully, I would say that Ismatrip did not create too many newses. And we stayed under the radar of a lot of people. But, you know, we were the underdogs all this way. Uh, only after getting public, people realized that, hey, we have become too big. We have become second largest travel portal in India. Otherwise, people didn't know our numbers. We didn't propagate our numbers. People didn't know what was happening in the organization. So that helped us uh, from, from the poaching perspective, um, I would say. The other thing is that we really, really believe that, you know, there are far more ways to motivate people than throwing money at them. You know, people love, you know, people love organizations which can basically give them authority to make decisions. People love organizations which gives them tools to grow as a self. People love organizations where they are, they are treated as, as a part of the family rather than just as a mere employee. And this culture has helped Ismatrib to reach where we have, where you know, our, our employees, you know, honestly speaking, one of the employees uh, wrote to me that said, I can take a bullet for Ismatrib. And that made me so proud. Now we have, we have created a culture where it's much more than money. It's much more than uh, your, your designation even for that matter. Uh, people live and breathe, at least in my organization, I can count very good number of people who live and breathe to see Ismatrib turning number one organization in the travel space in India. So this, uh, this culture was not, uh, you know, breeded in, in a day's time or in a week's time or in a year's time. This is how the company has been living for the last 13 years, where, you know, we, we started from actually a room, uh, you know, you could call that as a small room where, which was my study room. Uh, you know, while I was preparing for IIT, 
in that room we you know we filled in 20 people and you know for almost about a year uh, we were functioning from that room uh, you know and hence of the of the 20 founding members i can still count 16 people who are still with the organization even after 13 years so this this is how we we have been able to stay away from the poaching we have been able to stay away from the limelight and created a value for all ourselves that just sounds fabulous in terms of the internal structure the culture that you spoke about but i'm also sure um, with all of this comes a lot of internal pressure to make sure that the company then is also able to like meet expectations of its employees right um, you know it it goes both ways but now there are some things that are beyond your control there are variables out there market forces out there which you can you and i don't control the vcs don't control that's just the nature of the industry as such um and you kind of like saw i would say two bu- two boom cycles 2016 you know being a great year for indian vc and then the last couple of years which has been fantastic oh, yeah. in terms it's of been just, crazy it's been crazy so yeah. and then comes your ipo which you kind of like talked about saying it was such a silent IPO. We didn't make a whole lot of noise. People didn't really know we were the second biggest portal after we went public. Take us through that whole entire journey of looking at all this chaos that's in the in the ecosystem, you know, from 2016 to now. When does the whole idea of, hey, I want to take my company public, these conversations start taking place internally, right? Because I'm sure from the day that you started the company, it was always about you know, how can we be profitable? How can we actually solve for a problem and a mission? And then at some point, we also want to like, obviously make some money, both for ourselves, our stakeholders, which are your employees at this point. So when did those conversations unfold? How do they unfold? How does the whole thinking behind that go? So this, I think, started near 2018. Um, you know, we knew that there's no point taking VC money now, since we are growing profitably. At that time, we had about 150-odd crores sitting in our bank as a cash reserve, which we have accumulated as a profit over the past, what, 10-odd years of running by year 2018. So company was growing at 50% per annum. Company was growing profitably. So clearly, there was no need to take that. You know, we got chased by a lot of VCs in year 2014, 15, 16. But we just didn't know what to do with that money. We had no idea. Like, the best we could have done is, you know, we take that money and we put it in the FD. Uh, we didn't know what else to do with that money. Uh, we didn't want to burn and spread ourselves, uh, spread spread too much money on marketing to grow faster. We knew that's not the right way to do the business. So we, we kind of uh, stayed silent uh, and, you know, we couldn't take the VC money. And in year 2018, it, we, we, we got realized by a banker saying that, hey, guys, you guys are ready for the IPO. You know, Indian public loves internet companies and especially you are profitable. So you might actually think about being listed. So I don't think so any internet IPO happened in year 2017, 18, 19, or 20. I think, uh, uh, you know, maybe 17, there was one uh, tech IPO, but 18, 19, 20, there was no tech IPO, which happened. So the bankers made us realize that, hey, we are in a very different sweet spot where we are an internet company as well, and we are profitable and we are growing really fast. We were the fastest growing travel company. So, 
you know, IPO might be a good option for Ismartrip. And when we looked at all the pros and the cons, we realized that it's actually worthwhile pursuing it. Uh, another reason we thought that it might be worthwhile is that, hey, you know, we, we never created news and we have become this big already. Now, if we become listed, uh, you know, journalists will cover us, media will cover us, and that will accumulate to free marketing, which we never had. And we thought that, hey, this might actually be the right time for the organization that we, we are growing, we are growing by word of mouth, but now having the validation of being listed could also help. See, imagine you you got you got to know about Ismartrip that we don't charge convenience fees, but then you see that we don't do much advertisement. You might you might you 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 have a very fair reason to not to trust Ismartrip by just to save three hundred rupees. You don't want to you know spend six thousand rupees. It's a high ticket item. So you know by we realize that if we get listed, we will get that legitimacy. We will get that validation that this company is for real giving value to consumers by not charging convenience fees. And uh, I think the decision was right. Our market share has been growing ever since even faster. To give you an idea, uh, when the market is at 70, 75% of pre-COVID, our organization is already pre-COVID numbers. This is how fast we are growing. We, our last quarter, uh, we did total GMV of 1290 crores in the quarter, which was highest ever for this organization, while the entire industry is at 65 70% of the total number. So, and uh, when you look at the Google trends, you can clearly see that by after being listed, uh, the searches related to eSmartRip have increased dramatically. So, clearly, the decision of being listed. Uh, you know, came out pretty, pretty, pretty fruitful for the organization as well. So you spoke about the part that is great for the brand in terms of obviously the IPO being almost like a marketing campaign, a large marketing campaign, great mm -hmm. for investors, great for you. By investors, I mean the retail investors. Talk about the challenging aspects. Like, you know, when you guys started discussing about these IPO conversations internally, what was those like? Like, were they like, you know, people internally <clears throat> saying this is not the time? What are the challenges that a founder goes through or a founding team goes through when a team decides that IPO karna hai, kab karna hai, this is when you guys have to decide about it? So we, we had a very interesting grind around it. So we started preparing for IPO from September 2018. And around November 2018, we decided that we will get listed in February 2020. So we, we, we had a plan of a year and a half to prepare for it and get listed around February and March of 2020, not knowing what is to come. So the entire plan was going as per, as per you know, the way we planned. And come February 2020, when we actually even had a couple of people who were ready to do pre-IPO for our organizations. And uh, suddenly this entire world was shaken up by the COVID, where you know in China we started in China we started seeing rising of the cases, and then in Italy I remember Italy was the next outbreak. You know the cases were rising, and then it was almost inevitable that it is going to happen to India. So the entire effort of year and a half were almost coming to waste, uh, knowing that the COVID wave is about to hit. 
So we took an effort. We called the investors who were ready to do pre-IPO. We told them that, hey, we will have to delay our listing indefinitely right now. And uh, we will let you know whenever we decide to be listed. So the first real attempt of being listed was actually in February 2020. But then that was completely whitewashed by what we never anticipated to happen. And then come January 2021, you know, the COVID first wave was long over. Uh, things were almost back to normal. Business was booming. So we approached the same set of investors that, hey, could this be the right time to be listed? And most of them said, yeah, sounds like a great time. Why don't you get listed now? And we got listed in March 2021, right before the wave two, in which was happening, in, which was about to happen in India. And uh, we got a phenomenal response uh, at the time of listing. We got 160 times oversubscribed, which I was told was the second highest oversubscription in a decade. We got oversubscribed by 160 times. So phenomenal love from the market and boom, we got listed on 19th of March and around 1st of April, we started seeing tremendous tsunami of second wave come in. And uh, that, you know, that created humongous amount of panic. And, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know what's the exact right word for it, but, uh, we all were like, did we make the right decision to get listed in March 2021, not knowing what was going to happen in April or May of 2021? You know, the entire country was in shambles, uh, as you would know, during those times. You know, we all were, we all were just barely surviving the COVID wave during those days. And hence, uh, our stock price from 187 even went till 160 for the, for the time being. Uh, but then people realized that the fundamentals of the companies are very strong. And as we started getting over the COVID wave too, thankfully, our stock has done pretty well in the market. That's a fantastic story. I love that. And I want to take a step back, in fact, and uh, talk to that IPO process because I find this really interesting. I'm working on one of my really close portfolio companies that is also going public very soon. Um, okay. So I understand a little bit of uh, you know what, what happens ins and outs. And when a company decides to go public, it must build the right team to go public. Selection of competent mm -hmm. leaders, managers, merchant bankers, and the board and the board members and the board uh, members. All of this is lawyers. like a hassle, right? Yeah, it's oh, time. Yeah. It's time consuming. It's capital. It's, it's, it's uh, a year, intensive. year and a half. Yeah. I mean, uh, firstly, there is definitely a good amount of money which goes as a sunk money. Yeah. If you're able to do it or if you're not able to do it, that money is gone. Yeah. So that's, that's a good amount of money. You know, the entire IPO process, the sunk cost could range anywhere between 30 crores to 80 crores. That's the money which will go regardless whether you right. are able to do an IPO or not do an IPO. So we were facing, we were, we were not that grim when we had to decide to postpone our IPO. Yeah. in February 2020. So, yes, uh, there is a lot of work and especially for our organization. See, our organization was a very different organization. We were bootstrapped all this while. So we didn't have a proper guidance of a VC or somebody who could basically create structures in the company which would be well accepted in the market. So we took additional time of a year and a half 
of finding the right people to create such structures in our organizations, which could be accepted very well in the market. And that is why I think that we took more time than the, than the average people. Um, you know, we, we had to do so many other things, uh, you know, to get our books right, to change our accounting policies, which are, you know, as per the market and other things uh, to, to get it right and appoint the bankers, appoint the lawyers, appoint various sets of people. There were three different lawyers, uh, you know, which were, which were appointed. There were two bankers which were appointed. And uh, there were, were so many other kinds of people who were, who were working in and around to get to see this company being listed. So definitely it's a time-taking process, but at the end, it was very rewarding. So you also mentioned that you didn't have that exact guidance that a typical VC-funded company would perhaps have. How did you solve for that challenge? Like, was it the board of directors that who had some previous experience? It was experience the board of, of directors. Okay. Right. So we, we, we got three independent board of directors. We changed our company from private limited company to limited company okay. as a public company. Mm-hmm. And we got the right set of board of directors. We got the right set of consultants from the finance, from the legal, from the governance perspective mm-hmm. to help us create those structures in the organization. Uh, which, you know, which we didn't primarily because there was nobody else in the company yeah. to guide us during those periods. So, and that is why, you know, it took, it took us almost a year and a half to get to that place. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think that procedure was a very healthy procedure for the company. And it is only helping company to even uh, test the longevity time even better. That, that's a very interesting journey because it's really important because I, I know a lot of companies also go through a whole lot of restructuring to enhance the brand, the share valuation, paving the path for like compliance management in the future, organizing uh, existing, I mean, in your case, some sort of uh, capital restructuring internally within um, the founding team or the, uh, the, larger, the larger equity holders within the company itself, better presentation, transparency and financial statements and all of that. Now, while going through this whole process, running the business, ensuring that, you know, you also went through the pandemic during all of this period. Like, I can only imagine that this is a whirlwind of emotions, like things that are happening on a day-to-day basis, making sure the ship is steering in the right direction. This is not an easy process. So why did you decide that the pandemic was the right time to actually do this? Like when you talk about it, talk us through the market timing. What was the logic behind that? In January 2021, our business was highest ever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to believe, but people had almost forgotten COVID at that time. The business was booming. Uh, the, the investors were really looking forward to his trip IPO. We actually had to tell them no in February 2020. Many of the investors were saying, ah, COVID may not come to India. Who knows? So... You know, people were really looking forward to it. Uh, business was booming. I think the call of going public in March 2021, in the hindsight also, it was a good call. And I mean, knowing that the wave two uh, might have come, I may have changed that decision. But at that time, we didn't know that wave two is good to come. But if the company's fundamentals are strong, the company's fairly valued at the IPO. Uh, you know, people will reciprocate that love. So there are certain other things which we did during the COVID times, which also helped us create that brand image. For example, 
the first in the first wave i told you how we refunded the money of the you know, of the people even before we got from the from the airlines right uh, in this after the second wave while we were being listed at the time we were listed you know we created a a very unique feature within within eSmartRip uh, which is also right now helping eSmartRip grow even faster the feature was if you book any air ticket on eSmartRip and if you have to cancel it because of any medical reasons not just covid any medical reasons just upload doctor's prescription and we will refund your entire money including the money which was deducted by the airlines now and this is at no additional cost just use eSmartRip if you have to cancel it because of any medical reasons upload the doctor's prescription and you will get the entire money back even including the money which airlines did i airlines did up so this we started in may 2021 and right now besides convenience fees this has become the second most important factor why people choose eSmartRip because it gives them additional comfort that if they use eSmartRip and god forbid if they have to get quarantined or if they get sick they will be able to use a doctor's prescription and get the entire money back from the company again at the time when we were starting it we had a lot of debate internally of how people are going to game the system you know you know in india it's it's super easy to get a doctor's prescription for 100 bucks we've all done right? it for in our colleges for sure yes yeah so knowing that it is so easy to game uh, many people were cautioning us that hey, you're going to lose bunch of money because of all the people who are going to cancel for whatever reasons at least half of them are going to upload the doctor's prescription so on an average around 15% tickets get cancelled 10 to 15% tickets get cancelled so the anticipation was 7 to 8% of all the tickets uh would claim for medical refund on the medical basis and if that had happened uh, you know the system would have collapsed we would have lost money much more money than the brand value which we would have gained but somehow we went through we went through it uh, with our gut feeling that things will fall into places people will and that's precisely what has happened of the 12 to 13% of the total cancellation which happens less than 1% claim that they cancel because of medical reasons and upload the doctor's prescription so hence we see that if you are actually truly giving some value to consumers without earning anything from it people also reciprocate and you know people people try to not to game the system this was this is one of the biggest learnings in the last 7 8 months which we have had that uh, all the worries which we had imagine at the time of launching the service the kind of worries which we were going through our mind you know because airlines deduct 3000 rupees 3000 to 4000 rupees per passenger and all that would have been pitched by our pocket so we, there was there was humongous amount of anxiety at the time of launching this feature uh, but we we are seeing this feature run extremely successfully for the company and we are seeing that the gamification is also very very minimal we are doing the audit checks and we are realizing that the people when they actually have a very serious problem either they are hospitalized then only they are using the services they are not using this uh this facility to just say, to just to say that hey they had a common cold and cough and they are not able to fly because of that 
So that that's one thing which we have learned that if you put trust in people, uh, they put their trust back in you. How quickly is it for? How quickly is it possible for you to launch such an initiative? Like I'm just trying to understand the internal decision making process here, and how quickly you guys are able to like uh, A/B test something like this. Given that today you're a public company, but if you're trying to do this in today uh, in today's world, given that you're, you're I don't think so. By being listed, we. are any in any disadvantages position mm-hmm. to launch something very quick mm-hmm. unless it is of high material value so so i don't think so there is there is any restrictions by being listed i would only say that in a quarter two to three days of mine goes under compliance work which is related to being listed so in a quarter that's the trade off in a quarter you have to spend two to three days in a quarter to take care of all the compliances and all the nuances around being listed but besides that i think uh, if, if 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 i i so far i have not felt uh, like like for example uh, you know using the cash reserves which we had to give out refund even before we got money from the lines those kind of stints i don't think so we will be able to pull off now those are probably off the table now but uh, to do a very quick test of running this see we we started this uh, you know 100% refund right um imagine imagine if it went wrong and people started uploading fake uh, you know doctors prescriptions we may be able to call it off after a month and put together it may not have accumulated in huge loss we may have discontinued with that service so hence to me it was not a high material value because you could have discontinued it you could have paid off all the people and then discontinued it right uh, after a month or after 15 days so i don't think so such decisions are anyways challenged even right now for example there was another thing which we did uh, it was you know which was extremely quick and i think we 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 won a lot of accolades in the public because of this which was again during the pandemic times so all all whatever is coming to me is the recent memories right so again during the pandemic times uh, when when the entire country was shut and we were not able to get people to our call centers and it was extremely challenging to get people to pick the phones from their homes you know to reroute all the calls to their mobile numbers it was extremely challenging um, you know within couple of days time we created an entire system by which whenever somebody would call us their phone will automatically get disconnected and they will automatically receive a message on their whatsapp saying that hey we can no longer pick your calls but you can message us and we can chat and our employees who were sitting at our homes instead of talking to people they were able to chat with our consumers so this also created humongous amount of value because in those days nobody was available except for ismarter and this has turned out to be a great service almost 37% of all our queries are solved on whatsapp right now see it's a it's a double winner right from from the consumer's perspective why would you be on hold for 15 minutes if you can just drop a message to an organization and get a reply let's say 10 to 15 minutes later and from the organization perspective as well earlier one agent was speaking to one customer at a time but now one agent is chatting with eight customers simultaneously again improving efficiency for the company 
So, you know, when, when you ask it, how quickly we can turn around, this was, this was done in a couple of days, time period, uh, from the organization perspective. One of the things that just jumps out to me here, Prashant, is that you have a lot of empathy for your customers, most importantly, and that's kind of like helped you develop this internal culture where you've always put customers first. At least that's what I'm sensing from this conversation. In your perception as a founder, what is the importance of empathy and how have you developed it consciously or subconsciously, intricately over the last you know, decade of being a founder yourself? Has that been something that you have kind of like paid attention to or is it just inherently who you are? I think it's something as a trait which I may have developed over the period of time. Um, I, I, you know, I read somewhere you know, a few years ago um, about, about the fundamental attribution error which humans go through. The fundamental attribution error is basically, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term which, uh, you know, psych, you basically people who are in philosophy, they use to say that whenever we are at flaw, we blame the situation. But whenever somebody else is at flaw, we blame their characteristics instead of situation. So if you are, if you have crossed a red light, it's probably because you have, you justify it saying that, hey, I have to go to work or I have to go to hospital. But if somebody else's jumps the red light, then they are reckless for that matter. So this is something which, you know, which, which has a pro- profound impact on me of every time, you know, trying to put myself in the other people's shoes and understand that what might be going through to the other person. And uh, this is precisely how we got this feature for the organization, which is that, hey, in such tough and trying times, the least we could do is offer money back to people who are not able to travel because of some situation which we all are going through. So, yeah, and now I think this, this probably will become a permanent feature for the company, even though it was more of a trial and error for a period. Uh, we, we thought that initially we thought that we will probably run it only during the COVID times, but it might actually become a permanent feature for the company. We're just book tickets on eSmart trip. And if you have to cancel because of any medical emergency, you get your entire money back, no questions asked. So I would say that it's something which, uh, and it's also a matter of evolution, right? While running the organization, which is bootstrap, the entire money is your own money you realize that the best you could do for your business is also put your, put your consumers first. That is also something I would say that it's a learning, you know, uh, you know, put your employees, put your consumers first and then the business will continue to grow. And I think that is how maybe we have been conditioned all this time. Yeah. One of the things I feel that you've, you're saying in that answer is empathy breeds empathy and empathy also attracts empathy. And what I mean by that is your empathy has kind of like had an impact on your employees and that's kind of like created a culture of empathy. And what I mean is empathy attracts empathy is you've also seen that your customers are not like advantage of, you know, initiatives like this that you kind of just mentioned right now where you're able to like help people in times of needs. So that is a very difficult mental framework to also like come about as a founder to have and then convince other people within your company to actually have that and develop that over the course of time. And I think it's a very top-down approach that has right. to like come across. Um, that's a very difficult thing. And, you know, you've 
spoken about um, a lot of things over the course of this episode, which I can easily classify as achievements. Um, you know, obviously being unicorn, taking the company public, um, surviving and doing really well during the pandemic, all of this. But in your personal opinion, what would you say is the best achievement and what's been the biggest impact in your opinion? As an organization or as an individual? Both. I guess as an organization, what's your biggest achievement that what has Eastmetric really done that you're really proud of? And most importantly, from a personal perspective as well, what are you proud of? Could be speaking on behalf of your founding team and your brothers as well. Like what are you three really, really proud of like achieving with this? So um, basically it's my two younger brothers who actually started East My Trip. I joined them later. I was working for Capital One and HSBC in United States right after my college uh, from IIT. I was hired by the banks and I was working with it. So two of my brothers, they started this and they actually started in a very, very hard way. They started as a, you know, we started as a travel agent ourselves. And by being a travel agent for almost about a year, we knew the problem travel agent goes through. And that is how Isma Trip came into conceptualization to solve the problem of travel agent. So I'm thankful to both my brothers to run a travel agency and basically create those learnings Without those learnings, without being a travel agent, Ismatrip would have never been existed because we would have never known the problem travel agent faces. And hence, Ismatrip would not have been created. And then Ismatrip would have never been pivoted to a B2C consumer website later on. So I, uh, you know, I think that uh, they have done a phenomenal job in the beginning. I joined them almost about a year later. And, uh, you know, the, the culture, the company's values were there from the day one. And that is how the company has become what it has become. It's been 12 years since we are running the show now, 13 years for that matter. And uh, as, a, as, a, as an organization, I think one of the things which I am extremely proud about is that there is a lot of cynicism in the market, in the startup world, that unless you raise money, you cannot survive. See, we hear people raising money we hear startups raising money, but that's just one percentile of all the startups which exist, you know, who raise money. One uh, percent or maybe two percent or five percent for that matter. There are definitely 95 percent startups who do not end up raising money and they lose their heart in, just because they're not able to raise money. So I'm glad that I'm sharing my story to people. And if this story goes to the people who, who may not have been able to raise money should know that this is not the end of all. You know, in fact, uh, I would call Ismatrip, I would say that had Ismatrip raised money, we might not have the privilege to talk to you or talk to the audience right now for that matter. You know, so sometimes uh, blessings comes in various disguises. And uh, if only we could let people know that there are ways by which you can run your company successfully, even if you are able to raise money or not able to raise money, that itself is creating huge impact in the startup ecosystem back. That is fantastic. And I, I want to end on this note because I've had a brilliant conversation for the last 60 minutes. If you were really talking about and looking at, you know, because you talked about building a generational business here. You wanted to leave a legacy behind. You talked about money just being a source of building longevity here with Ease My Trip. 
how do you see the company today and what it can really stand for looking maybe 10 years from now or 20 years from now 30 years from now what is the long term vision and mission behind what you're trying to build and have already built so far at isma trip we are seeing to evolve from being a travel platform to travel ecosystem this is what our endeavor is right now uh, recently we have acquired three companies uh, in the travel space and we wish to acquire more and we wish to become at the entire travel ecosystem rather than being a travel portal so the goal is to create a system by which the entire travel and trip planning and holidaying could be eased not just for india <clears throat> but in the other countries as well which we are envisaging to grow we have created six subsidiaries in six countries us uk dubai singapore philippines and thailand and we wish to use our cutting edge technology our lean efficient systems in start making impact in these places as well and create value to users by providing them the best of the service at the cheapest of the rates is what we what we wish to endeavor and carry forward with and uh, we want to we want to see company grow profitably so that this company can leave can continue to exist even beyond our times of this lives which we have over here so that's that's the goal for the company i love that i love the whole fact that you're not just limiting yourself to just india it's global the mission is larger the, the it's 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 more of a full stack experience that you're really going to go go after right from like plan thinking planning all the way up until so, the experience so we itself. we are acquiring companies which are basically going to the, do the execution work as well uh basically the car rental companies the bus companies so that we can be full stack and we can have the control 100% control of the experience of the consumers that that in itself i believe is going to be another episode when how you plan to do so and what are the kind of companies how do you integrate into them into the existing ecosystem and how does that really grow because um i think you're just getting started on that process as well and if we did an episode exactly a year from now next year i think you'll tell me that you know the learnings that have come across with some of these acquisitions and the integrations and how it's really panning out i would love to sit down with you a year from now and see what's been your learning just from 2022 and some of the acquisitions you made and how the company has fared publicly over that period so um i'm going to like bookmark this and hopefully we continue to keep in touch so that i'm able to bring you back on the on the episode to discuss a little bit more on that but on a final note um i really enjoyed a lot of advice that's kind of like come in the form of um in in a very subtext format where it's been about building companies cautiously and there are a lot of my founder friends going back to the point that you made kind of get very discouraged with the fact that they've not raised enough money as much as their peers or so on what is your advice and what's one piece of um tidbit that you just want to give any founder who tunes in and listens to this about building their companies not just with respect to vc but in general what is one piece of advice that you want to give them from your own personal personal journey so <clears throat> my my advice probably i mean i don't think so i have yeah, attained so much to share a piece of advice but from the learnings which we have had uh, you know i think people should 
have the control of their future in their hands rather than giving it out to somebody else who may or may not believe in them. The control should always be in your hands of your future or your company's future. By being dependent on external factors of whether it's related to raising money or whether it's related to market dynamics, I think there is always something which we can do to take back some portion of control in our hands. Uh, and that's that's one big learning which we have that, you know, it's so much easy to fall into the fallacies of, you know, it's all market driven. Um, as an entrepreneur, our job is to find opportunities in tough times. See, you know, uh, our job is to find really, really opportunities in the tough time. The worrying part can wait. That, that's how we see it. So in, from the conversation as well, you would have noted that every time something big has happened, we have tried to take the best out of it be it refunding money to the consumers or being available on the WhatsApp or being giving people 100% money on their, on their, you know, on their flight tickets. We have always taken something positive from everything, every time something has happened big in the last couple of years. And that has been the journey. <coughs> we believe that an entrepreneur's job is to be optimistic no matter what the situation is. That's a fantastic note to end the episode on Prashant because given where we are in the industry right now, given the current dynamics, given the current situation and everything that's happening around Indian tech and VC, I don't think there's been or there will be a better advice that can come off of this podcast. Um, so I thank you so much for being here on the show, sharing all your insights and experience as a founder, having built this company from scratch to where it is today. Kudos to you and the team um, who's done a fantastic job and uh, wish you all the luck going forward. I hope to bring you back uh, on the podcast sometime really soon and we can talk about everything that's gone between this and the time that you come back. So thank you again. No, thank here. you so much, Akash, for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Well, I have no idea how time passed and that was a fantastic episode where Prashant was able to highlight some of the biggest challenges that his company faced and most importantly, how the company has managed to stay afloat and be profitable despite having been through two difficult periods of the pandemic. Prashant did not hold back in terms of sharing his thoughts when it came to building companies and how they've strategically thought about it, planning not to raise money, how they managed to stay operationally lean and also think about building a very vibrant culture within the organization that has helped them retain many employees and most importantly, attract others as well. It's a journey for the ages and it's a case study that everybody should take into account while building their own companies. Prashant, it was a pleasure hosting you on the podcast and I really hope we bring you back sometime later next year and discuss how the journey post the pandemic has been for the company and what your learnings from being a public company has been since you have IPO'd. Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode and all the other ones that I've been bringing you so far, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps us get discovered and most importantly, you will be notified about all our future episode releases. We've got another great guest in the form of a limited partner or an LP here on the podcast next week. So make sure you tune back in again and hear all the insights that they're able to share about building a great, great 
family office structure within India. Until then, stay safe everybody and continue to keep hustling.